before we get into the lesson, well, you can go ahead and turn to Matthew 9. Go ahead and turn there. want to encourage you, if you haven't already, please pick up a prayer card. Please do that. And um, I'm, I'm telling you, this doesn't run off money, though that's important because I have to get over there. It also runs off prayer. Uh, prayer definitely changes things. And I'd encourage you on our card, if you'll see down here, the third item down, we have a website there. If you go to the website, it'll prompt you to enter your email address and hit enter and you can sign up for our prayer letter. We send one out every month. You can find out wh what's going on, where we're at in our progress and all those things. Uh, pick up a couple of these. You know, I, I tell people, you know, if you're so bold, take a thumbtack and put it right on your ceiling above your bed, right on the ceiling. And every day when you wake up, you'll be like, pray for those people real quick. That'd be great. I love that. And also make sure you get one of the Brazilian coffee candies. I have went in five, in four months, I went through 5,000 of these things because I buy them. I, I brought over a bunch of bags from Brazil, went through, cleaned through them in three months, thousands of them. And uh, I was like, what am I going to do? I w believe it. I went on Amazon.com and found them. <laughs> they cost twice the price as they did in Brazil, but I found them. So these are br from Brazil. Okay, so if you like these, you can find them on Amazon. You're going to pay a little more, but you can find them. So make sure you get one of those. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 9 this evening. Matthew chapter 9. Um, we're going to be in a, a pretty well-known or famous passage of Scripture, and I hope that you don't look at it and you're thinking, oh, that passage or that verse. Uh, this is a message the Lord has given to me. Uh, it's a burden I have of the country and where we're at, where we're going. And we're going to be talking about, in verse 35 to 38, about laborers. laborers. So look at verse 35 with me tonight. It says this, and Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, the labors are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. I want to ask for his blessing one more time. Father, we come to you again and just mindful that we need the Spirit of God to work tonight. I need to get out of the way. I want the Spirit of God to have free course, not only through me, but in the hearts of your own children here. And uh, I, pr I pray that this would uh, be impactful in their lives. And as the message is being communicated, that your Spirit on the inside would be directing them to truth, truths that they need in their own life to follow in Christ's name. Amen. Well, in Galilee at this time, I don't know if you knew this, but there were at least 3 million people living in about 204 cities and villages. 3 million people living around this area in Galilee, 204 cities and villages. Some were uh, tucked in hillside areas, some were down in the valley, some by the coast uh, there the shore, and some uh, in big cities or anywhere in between. And if you notice that Jesus, or Matthew records for us, and not accidentally, by the way, that Jesus went about to all the cities. To all the cities. He didn't say some of the cities. He said all the cities. You might think, well, maybe he, when he said all the cities, he meant like all of the cities over here. Well, he says all the cities and villages. So the big places, the small places, Jesus went about to all these areas, and he makes it clear to us that he healed every sickness. Now, you just step back and think about that. 
one man going to three million people, 204 locations, and healing every sickness he could find in those areas. Is that a lot of work? That's a lot of work. That, that, just, that makes me tired thinking about it. And you know what? You, 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 might, you might think to yourself, if Jesus has been in contact with these three million people, I don't know how long it even took it. The, the passage doesn't really give us a timeline on that. How many have not heard by now? How many have not understood his message or, 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 or heard of it by now? Yet before us in this passage is standing what the Bible calls a multitude of people that are standing before him, this great mass of people, and despite him having gone to all of these cities and villages and healing every sickness and every disease in over 200 locations, it is not enough. It's not enough. He hasn't, listen, he hasn't even scratched the surface on the amount of work that needs to be done still. Why do we know that? Because before him is a multitude of people that are in need. But it wasn't just that they are unreached that bothers Christ here, though that does bother him. The Bible uses two words in the passage that help us know what was going on here. I don't know if you noticed the two words. It says that this multitude were fainted and scattered. Did you notice that? Fainted and scattered. Now, the word scattered that Matthew used conveys the idea of something being acted upon by an outside force. It's the idea of something being uh, cast down or thrown down. We could say it this way, of being oppressed, of being oppressed. In other words, it isn't that this multitude before him, this mass of people, has ended up scattered. They have been scattered. There is something going on in the background that we are going to uncover in a minute here. There is something that's going on in the background that is pushing them and driving them to this position, this place. And then this word fainted is letting us know that they were, it has the idea of being a complete exhaustion. A complete exhaustion. Now, not physically exhausted, but mentally and spiritually. You say, how do you know that? Well, just think about this. There are other times in the Gospels where Christ is with the multitudes, and you know what he does. He feeds them. I'm thinking of a couple instances right off the top of my head where he feeds the multitudes, right? There is one case where the disciples are with Christ, and they say to Jesus, hey, let's send them away. And what does Jesus say to them? No, they've been with us a long time, and they're, and they're weary, and they'll faint in the way. And so what does Jesus do? Well, he, he takes care of them, right? He feeds them. But if you notice in the passage here, there's no food. Jesus doesn't bring out the, the bread or the fish. There's no little boy with a lunch. He doesn't feed them at all. And then lastly, Jesus uses a, a sheep shepherd metaphor. He says they're like sheep having no shepherd. And the reason why Jesus does that is because he wants to convey to us why and how this multitude is in this position. How are they in this predicament, this insane predicament? Well, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, the idea of us as sheep was pretty common, wasn't it? We can go to Numbers 27, 16, where Moses is looking for a replacement for the children of Israel to lead them, and Moses is looking for a particular kind of man. Well, what kind of man? Here's what it says in verse 16. A kind of man that would do this, that the congregation of the Lord be not as sheep which have no shepherd. He wants a certain kind of guy that's going to be mindful of the people like that. In 1 Kings 22, 17, Micaiah is given a vision of Israel after the death of Ahab. And here's what he said. I saw all of Israel scattered upon the hills as sheep having no shepherd. There it is again. Zechariah 10, 2, it says that Israel was troubled because there was no shepherd. God referred to us as shepherd, as sheep. 
And I'm sure you've seen pictures of sheep and how they, they, they wander off and they end up in some of the most crazy places and, 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 and life-threatening situations. I, I found an article uh, in, the, in the paper. It said, hundreds of sheep in eastern Turkey plunged to their deaths while shepherds looked on in dismay. 400 sheep fell 15 meters to their deaths in a ravine in Van Province near Iran. But get this, there is a little bit of humor in this, but they broke the fall of another 1,100. They're so fluffy. <laughs> so why, what, well, how did the sheep end up, end up going off the cliff? How did 400 of them just die and 1,100 others go off and land on them, thankfully survive? But how did 1,500 sheep go off a cliff? Well, the article says that they neglected them because they're having breakfast. <laughs> Seriously, this is their job. How long have they been shepherds? And they're sitting down eating breakfast, and they watched 1,500 of the flock go off a cliff. Why? Why they do that? Well, that's just what sheep do. Sheep just end up in crazy areas. Sheep naturally seek. They're just, they're just looking. They're just curious, and they're trying to meet their needs. And you know what? That's how humanity is. Proverbs says this, that, that the eyes of man are never satisfied. It will never have enough. I, 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 have, I have five kids. They get a new toy. With two days later, it doesn't matter anymore. But that was $100 maybe for my grand, not for me anymore, grandparents. I'm like, that was a lot of money. What, isn't that cool anymore? Nah. I'm like, you just, you wanted that for months and now you got it and it doesn't even matter. Why? The eyes of man are never satisfied. The Bible says that God has set the world in, in our hearts. What, what is he saying there? What, that people, what, we know that there's something more to life. We know that. We, we know that there has to be something. And so what do we do? Well, we seek to find out what it is. We don't seek God. We don't love God. And so we seek our own ways. We seek it in this, in fame, we seek it in fortune, we seek it in money, we seek it in all kinds of areas. We seek, we seek, we seek. And here Jesus is looking out over this group of people who are indeed seeking, but they have been oppressed, they have been abused, they have been misled, they have been manipulated, and they've had the truth twisted. He said, by who? What's been going on here? Listen to Matthew 23, 13. He says, but woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. For ye neither go in yourselves, neither suffer ye them that are entering to go in. You see what the Pharisees were doing to the, 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 the common Israelite? They were adding all these restrictions and all these rules. They were laying burdens on the people that they themselves wouldn't keep. And here's the thing, they couldn't keep them either. They, at, the, at, at the height of it, there were 613 commandments that the Jews felt they had to keep to meet the grace of Yahweh, to get back to the Creator and understand that that kind of oppression, that kind of teaching, that, that kind of forcing over time, here's what it did to the people's mindset about coming back to God. One day you have a, a publican and a Pharisee go into a temple to pray. The Pharisee sits there and thanks God that he's not like this man, right? Remember that story? A sinner. What's the publican do? The publican does this. The publican standing afar off would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. So here you have one man who thinks everything's good. The other man, he feels so far from God, so at odds with God, he cannot keep the growing list that he can't even bring himself to look up to heaven. And he just cries out to God to be merciful to him. That was the mindset of the Jews. That was the mindset of those that had fallen that weren't stuck in pride, that felt they were self-righteous. 
the, the point is, these people had gotten to a point of wandering of, and of wondering whether they could ever really even know God. They, they, it, was, it was almost as if, as Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven was, here's how you get to God. The Pharisee came by and he closed the door to it. You're not getting back to God. You have to go through us. And they made all these rules. And you know what that made the people want to do? Give up. Made them want to faint. You know, honestly, what, what would you do if I gave you a job or your boss gave you a job and it was impossible to do and you kept trying and kept trying and kept trying and kept failing? You're going to want to give up too. You may not get physically hungry doing the job, but in your mind, you're going to be like, I'm done with this. I'm done with this. And Christ is looking out over these, this group of people that are in this situation. They have been pushed to these extremes so that now they're going to give this Messiah, this renegade teacher, a chance. And so they're gathered before him to hear what he has to say and to follow him. And as Christ looks out over the sea of people, that bothers him. Because he's just been to 204 cities and villages. And before him, he hasn't even scratched the surface of the problem, has he? No. And that's what this passage is going to show. So, so what, what, what does he do? Well, well look what it, how it makes him feel. First of all, you look at verse 36. It says, when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion. You know, compassion, this word that Matthew uses, is one of the strongest words that he could have used to let us know how to depict the emotion that he felt. Okay, this word for compassion isn't he felt bad about it. This word for compassion is a gut-level feeling, okay? This is, Christ feels so deeply about this that it's going to affect what he does. Because feeling bad about a problem doesn't change it, does it? No, we've got to take action about it. Because these people are searching and they have been surrounded by lies. And there's no shepherd to tell them. Matter of fact, they're like sheep that have no shepherd. And you know that's still true today? People all around you you run into, your coworkers, your neighbors, people all around you have been, have been scattered, they've been forced into homes they did not choose, and circumstances they had no control over, and they've seen, they've seen things and been through things that they may not have chosen as a young child to experience. Maybe abuse, maybe neglect. They've experienced things, and they've been forced, or as Romans 12 says, they have been conformed in the course of this world, in the image of this world, and they've been lied to and misled by society. You know, I, I read just recently how that a middle, in a middle school in South Carolina, a teacher, middle school, was asking her students if it was wrong to steal, and not one of them in the class said it was. Well, how'd they arrive there? Because they have been lied to and manipulated and twisted and told their conscience it doesn't matter, do what makes you feel best and do what's best for you. They have been forced into this belief system. Where do you think they'll be by the time they get to adults? If at six they're thinking, I don't care what you have, it could be mine if I want it. I don't even know where that's going to end up. You know what? Here, here's the thing, though. It can be easy for us to look around at the lost and be shocked and be appalled at them and say, I cannot believe that they would pass this rule or that they would do this act or that they would do them. And, and you know what? You know what we got to remember, though? Before we met the Savior, we were doing the same stuff, weren't we? Before we met Jesus Christ and he fundamentally changed our life and made us a new creature, we were on the same course they were. 
We were going about by whatever whim we wanted, by the course of this world. And if it hadn't been for a person coming to us and giving us the gospel, we'd be doomed as well. When we've got to be very careful when we approach the lost and we approach society because they don't need another Pharisee in their life. They need a shepherd. They need someone that will care for them, that will care so deeply, listen, that you do something about it. Not just that we have a prayer meeting about it, but that we actually put feet to our faith and do something about it. That it would change how you spend your Monday night or your Tuesday night or your Thursday night. That it might just change how you spend your entire life. Because you care so much. They need, they need co-workers and neighbors who are not so absorbed in their own life and their own schedules and their own plans. And have, here's my Monday night, my Tuesday night is already planned out. I'm going to do doing this from 6 to 7 and this, 8, 7 to 8, and all the way to bed that we would take the time to think about them, really just to look at them. Because honestly, when next time you're out and about in public, just be observant. And you know what I see a lot of? We don't even see the multitudes anymore. Say, what do you mean we don't? Because we walk around like this most of the time now. Listen, we have been so distracted. And I'm not even saying it's wrong. I have a phone. I'm just saying, I, I can find myself being three feet at a gas station from a person that's probably going to hell. I don't want him to go to hell. God doesn't want him to hell. But, but just he, he, the likelihood of him having salvation isn't high. I, we, we could be inches from a cash register, a, a cash attendant, a register attendant, that we go to the same place every couple weeks to get our food and not even think about the fact that they're going somewhere when they die. And we could be there, and you know what? Our, the temptation is to just be busy. Just be doing things to where we don't even see the multitudes anymore. But they're there. They're everywhere around us. What are we going to do about it? You know, we're getting ready to go to a country where the people, as you heard, they, they've been scattered. They have been uh, uh, oppressed. They have been forced into uh, religious molds. And I'm telling you this from being there just for three months and, and paying attention to the culture and reading the news articles and looking at the religious climate over there. They are at the point of fainting over there. See, what do you mean by that? Well, let me elaborate. They've been dominated by Catholicism for over four centuries, as you heard. And that's been the path of suffering that, you know, you know what, if you'll, just, if you'll just do this, and if you'll just pray, and if you'll just hold on, you know, Jesus is still on the cross, and if, if you'll just uh, atone for all your sins, if you'll just bear through it, it's all going to be better in the end. Well, they tried that. And they tried it for four centuries, and then they have found no relief in that. And then the, the charismatic movement comes on the scene. That's the opposite message of that. This is the health and wealth message of the charismatic. This is the health and wealth branch of it, where it's like, hey, if you'll give this and you'll do this, you'll be healthy, you'll be wealthy, it's all going to go good. And you know what? They tried that for the past 30 years. And you know where they've gotten? Families are still dying. They're still living in poverty. You know what they're realizing? That's false, and that's false. And that's all they've known for centuries. And now they're at the point in Brazil where they've heard polar opposite messages, and they're realizing that there's nothing in them, and what is taking place in Brazil is exactly what is taking place in our passage before us. They are at a point of fainting, where they are reaching a point mentally, spiritually, where it's about why even try. Say, do you really know that? Yes. Here's how. Depression and atheism are on the rise in Brazil. Now listen, to us in America, that may not mean a lot for me to say atheism on the rise, but I'm telling you, that should bother us here, shouldn't it? 
if you have a group, a mass of people that say there's no God, that should bother us. Well, listen, we, I know we're, we're living in that all the time, but that's new over there. That, that country for, for centuries identified as 96% Catholic. You say, well, that's wrong. I know it is. But they believed that there was that one God. They had the wrong way to him, but they at least thought there was one. Now they're at the point of saying, I don't even know if I even care anymore. What's going on over there? Well, when you step back and you look at the raw facts and you consider the multitude upon multitude of people that are seeking and searching, the 214 plus million people that live in Brazil and speak Portuguese. You know what they need? You know what's standing before them in eternal life? A shepherd. That's it. It's a shepherd. Someone who knows the way. And as Christ is looking out at this crowd and he's bothered by that, here's what he says in verse 37. Here, here, here's what we do about Brazil. Here's what we do about mission fields. Here's what we do about America. Then saith he on the disciples, look, the harvest truly is plenteous. Okay, yeah, we get that. But here's the problem. The laborers are few. You see, the problem we have is not a harvest problem. It's a laborer problem. Did, 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 did you catch what I'm saying? It, we don't have a problem with people getting saved. We have a problem with not enough people out there talking about it. And I, I've heard this. Uh, I've heard this be, working in church for the past nine years. Well, people just aren't getting saved anymore. Well, that's just not true. You may not be seeing a lot of fruit where you're at, but that doesn't mean people aren't getting saved. Number one, Jesus said the, the harvest is plenteous. So I'm going to go with him on this one. <laughs> I'm not going to call him a liar. But, but second... You know, we have a missionary that is uh, in Panama right now. If you know what's been going on in Panama for the past three months, right now he is traveling, listen to this, 1,350 miles every week. Every week. Between two refugee camps. Well, what's, why is he doing that? Well, what's going on is there's a mass exodus of, of, many other, of many countries and areas. They're coming over because of war or whatever reason. And uh, they're, they're getting, going into Panama. They're going through the, the 20 to 30 hour trek through the Darien jungle. And those that survive that are bottling up in refugee camps by the thousands. And they're waiting there to be, to be bussed up into Mexico. They're just trying to get out of war. They're trying to get a better life. And do you know what this missionary that went to Panama has been there for four years and has had very little fruit in four years has now found? He ran into a group of people from Cameroon, Africa. And you know what they know? They know English. Yeah, I know he's learning Spanish, but he knows English way better, okay? And you know what? He's giving in the gospel. And you know what? He's seen a ton of them saved. Last time I checked in, it was over 400. Four, no, no, you say, well, yeah, I mean, they're probably just saying a prayer. No, 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 no. These people are not just saying prayers, okay? These people are literally wanting to make things right. Uh, here's what I mean by that. There are people that have come over together and are, are wanting to get married because they know they shouldn't be living together because they've been saved. And Jesus is working on the heart about that. There are people that are saying, we, want, we need to get baptized. We need to follow what God said in his word to do. Listen, this isn't just they're just saying words. This is their lives are being changed. And he, it's costing him so much money to travel back and forth that he has to come back next month to raise more money just to, just to pay for the gas to go back to these places. You know what? You know what he's finding? He's finding a harvest field. Well, you, you know why he found a harvest field? 
because he was willing to travel 3,400 miles from home and learn a culture and a language and make sacrifices. And because of that, he's seeing a harvest. You know what a harvest needs? It needs a laborer. It's the only way you're going to have a harvest is have a laborer there. Why? Listen, we don't have a harvest problem. We have a laborer problem. It's not that people aren't getting saved. The problem that we have is we don't have enough laborers talking about it. So this comes down to what are we going to do about it? Verse 38. This is what you can do about this starting tonight if you're not already doing this. Verse 38 says, Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. You say, well, that's it? Okay, we have all these people that would get saved if they understood the truth, if they heard the truth clearly, they would get saved. There's just nobody there to tell them, what do I do about that? Pray. Pray about it. My answer is so simple. Well, listen, there's only one solution to the problem, and that is God to call more laborers. And for those that God has called to actually go. You know what's sad is I've been in over 40 churches now, and I ran into a lot of places where there have been people sitting in there that God burdened them to go to a field or go to a place, and they never did. You know why God gave them a burden to go to that place in the first place? Because there were people that needed to hear there. That's that's why. And they just didn't go. For whatever reason, I'm not going to be critical to them. I just don't know why. And, and here's the thing. I've heard people say this. Well, we live in the last times. You know that? We live in the last times. You know, in the last times, it's going to be hard for Christians. Well, let me help you out with this. We've been living in the last times since John finished Revelation. When John finished the book, he says, Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Come quickly. John thought that at any moment Jesus Christ had come. Paul thought that at any moment Jesus Christ had come. The early church lived and breathed as if Christ is coming back any moment. You know, the the reality is we've been living in the last time for 2,000 years or more, and we have seen some of the greatest works and revivals and salvations in history in just the past two centuries. In Welsh, England, America, we've seen that. The reality of the last times is not that people aren't getting saved or receptive. This is what Paul told Timothy. Listen to this. This know also, in 2 Timothy 3.1, that in the last days, perilous times shall come. There it is, all those perilous times. Listen, here is the predicament of it. Men shall be lovers of pleasure more than of God. Here's the problem with the last times. Less and less men and women would be willing to answer God's call on their life to go because in the last times... More and more, they would be in love with their own things. More and more, they'd be in love with the conveniences and the comforts, or as the verse says, pleasure. I'm not immune to this. You know, it, it took me three months to surrender to go to Brazil. Well, why did it take you three months? Have, have you been outside of America ever? <laughs> if you've ever been outside of America, you go to any other country, it's like, what, about, what am I doing here? I want to I go back. It's crazy. Anywhere else you go is insane. It's, it's a lot of trashy places, a lot of uh, disease-ridden places, a, a lot of unstable places, and we have it so made here. Why would you want to leave this? Why would you want to? Listen, here's the thing. Is that more important to you than the Creator? Let me challenge you about this in four areas. 
based on this passage. Number one, are you praying for God to send more laborers? Is that what you're doing? You know, the one request that Jesus ever gave on his behalf, and he taught us about prayer, of course, but this is the only place I've seen in Scripture that Jesus looks at his disciples and says, hey, I, I, I want you to do this for me. Pray for this for me. What does he ask you to pray for? For laborers. You know, for the first 10 years of my Christian life, I never did that. I mean, I did it at missions conferences, of course. I did it at, you know, if it brought up. But it wasn't something that I regularly prayed for. But that's what God's asking us to do. Pray for laborers. You know, I really believe that's the reason why I'm going to the mission field. I really do. You say, how do you know that? Um, that he will send more laborers. God burning my heart to go. The Bible says, well, if a man desires to offer the bishop, yeah, what, who, who, who gives the man the desire to go? I believe God does that. You know, something we picked up from a family a number of years ago, I'd encourage each of you to do this. Um, we were at, I was at a, a, a church, and um, there was a sound man on a music group, and we were there, and we were there for the whole day, and before we had breakfast, lunch, and dinner, we went down to the table to eat, and they had a napkin holder with missionary cards all lined up in it. And before we touched a biscuit, we had pulled a missionary card out and prayed for that family by name, and then put it in the back, and then at lunch we, we did the next one. That blew, how simple is that, right? You could, be, you could pray through three families already out there that need your prayers, that need protection from the devil, that need protection from their own flesh, that need God to give them free course and to open eyes and, and to bind Satan and errors. They need that, those kind of prayers from, from the church back here. Just because God sent them there doesn't mean that God's going to do all that for them. He, Paul tells us in Thessalonians that he says, pray for us, brethren, that the word of God may have free course. Your prayers matter for missionaries. They, they make a big difference over there. I, I, I assure you of that. And I don't encourage you tonight, just in this one area here, are you praying for laborers regularly? That's what he's asked us to do. And by the way, if you ever go in the missions, I'd encourage you, I don't know where I put my card at, I must have moved it, get, make a glossy card. You say, why do you get a glossy card? Well, we tried this out with our kids, and we have five of them, and as they uh, are eating dinner and they'll get food all over the cards, you can't see them and you throw them away, hey, you get glossy cards, you wipe those off. Keep going. It's a great thing. Save some money. Number one, are you praying for laborers? Number two, are you giving to and for laborers? You know, Paul said this. He, how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? You know, the reality is it, it costs money to go to a field. I, I assure you, if it didn't, I'd already be over there. If it costs no money, I'd be there. And I want to encourage you tonight that if you're not actively involved in giving to missions, that is one of the, the most simple ways that you can love your neighbor as yourself. Say, how is it loving my neighbor as myself? Well, think about this with me. If you're living over in a remote area, dominated by a religion where you prayed your ancestors' bones and you got them out once a year to, to maraud around and hope that that would make everything between you and the deity healthy, and that was your way to get to eternal life, would you not want someone to come and tell you that Jesus Christ died for you? I would. Well, you know what? If you're not able to go, if God hasn't called you to go, then, then it's on us to send someone to go then. If we'd want somebody to talk to us, then let's send others to talk to them. And so since God hasn't called you to go there, then help others get there. Maybe for you it's not giving the more to faith promise or giving the missions, but maybe you could talk to your spouse and just say, hey, 
you know, how about instead of going to this attraction or going to this state or going to this resort or doing this for that, those 13 days or 14 days of my vacation, what if we took a mission trip somewhere? I'd, I'd honestly, I, I challenge you just to think about, pray about that. God, uh, is that something that, 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 I, that I could do or would want to do? I, I cannot tell you a missionary that I've ran into or know of that would not be thrilled to see someone come over there and, and help them. Even for 14 days, it'd be a blessing to them. Where we're going to be at with the Brewers, they didn't have any American contact outside of emails or the furlough they took for 20 years. It was just them. That's it. And they made it. They're tough. But I'm telling you what, they could have used encouragement. I guarantee that. Number three, are you, are you telling others as a laborer yourself? You know, if God hasn't called you to go to a mission field, you know why? It's because you're already in yours. God called you to this church. We know he builds the church. We know he puts members in the church. If God hasn't called you to go out of this place, it's because he wants you to work here in this place and to reach this area. None of your acquaintances, none of your friendships are coincidental. God has placed people in and around your life. There's, there's a reason why that family moved into that neighborhood. There's a reason why you work that shift with those people. It's to give them the gospel. To love them, give them the gospel. You know, if you're good at business, or if you're good at sports, or if you're good at music, or you're good at some trade, all of those talents you have, all of those blessings you've been given by God, the position you have, the things you're good at, listen, those are platforms that we can use to spread the gospel. Listen, as a youth pastor, you know what I use to spread the gospel? Basketball courts. Basketball courts. I would go down in the YMCA, I'd go down to the ghetto areas and in the daytime, and I'd play basketball, and I wouldn't always win. I stayed in shape, and I got to give the gospel. How great is that, right? I, you know, just give the gospel. I got to, I got to give the gospel so many times to young people because I just went to a place. And my intention was, I'm going to use this opportunity at the end to invite them to church and ask if they knew they are going to heaven. So people saved doing that. Just giving the gospel. There's lots of other things. It's just, if we've we got to think about the opportunities that we have, and are we using them? But lastly, fourth, fourthly, and, and this is really where my burden is, would you be willing to go as a laborer? Would you be willing to go as a laborer? You know how many millions in the world are living seriously, seriously in spiritual darkness? Over two-thirds. Over two-thirds. I, I read this just today, too. There are 2.8 billion people who have, and th this is not the two-thirds, this is another statistic. There are 2.8 billion people who have little to no access to the gospel. Little to none. And they will not hear unless we take the gospel to them. And they will continue to be born and to live and die without hearing the gospel. Say, well, what is the solution to people living in darkness? The light. You know what God does to, to take out the darkness in areas? He sends in light. You know what God is doing to take the darkness out in this area of, of, of Florida? He put a pastor here. He put staff here. He put you here. Why did he do that? Because you have light. And light dispels the darkness. You know what he does to help people from Cameroon, Africa, that have been transplanted into, in, into the Darien jungle area of Panama? How does God, how is the, the gospel going to get to these guys? He sends a man 3,400 miles from home who has forsaken all that he knew to go and learn a language and live there the rest of his life. And he sent that man there to give them the gospel. And there are many that are coming to the light because there's light there.
It's what it takes. But the problem here, this is the problem though. In the last times, men shall be more lovers of pleasure than of God. In the last times, the problem is if we go nearer, that we have less and less that are willing to get up and leave their comforts and to go. And I said, I get it. I'm not, I'm not immune because I'm a missionary. I've had to do this myself. God had called our family to go to a place. I have to learn a language. I have to learn a culture. And I'm going to be working in this, in this town. And I'm going to be there maybe the rest of my life if the Lord lets me be there. And you know what burdens my soul, though? While I'm working in this town, I know that all around me, just in my state, one of 27, there are over a million people just in that one state. I'm going to be confined to one area, and there's going to be multitudes around me that I won't be able to reach because I'm trying to reach this place. And in that meantime of me working in that town and trying to raise up laborers and trying to train them to give the gospel and to, and to plant churches, and we try to send them out, how many people in the meantime are going to go off into eternity having never heard the gospel? Not, listen, not because they wouldn't be willing to hear it, but because there's nobody there to tell them. That is the problem. It's not that they're resistant. They just don't hear it. So my question is, where are the laborers at? Where are they? Everybody can pray. Everybody can give. Everybody can tell. But some should go. Someone's got to go. I'm willing to go. That doesn't make me any better than you. If God hasn't called you to go, don't go. But will you help me get there? Will you help others get there? You might say this tonight, well, I'm not sure if God wants me to go. Honestly, have you ever asked him? Have you ever asked God? I'd go if you want me to. I'd do it. If it meant leaving my family, if it meant not being here for birthdays and Christmases, if it meant not having all the things I am so used to, God, I'd go. Would that be you? Or is there some pleasure in the way? You know, there was a man in his 70s that went to the reindeer people with the Reasoners. I don't know if you know the Reasoners, but Ron Reasoner was preaching in a church, and a, and a 70 year old man was sitting on, in, in the middle aisle of the area. And uh, God convicted his heart to go to Russia, and he went. Listen, at 70 years old, he went. 70. What did he do over there? He didn't know the language, he didn't know the culture, he didn't have any training in any institute or Bible college or anything like that. He went there and he passed out tracks. And you know what people said when they would see him over there in Russia as a 70-year-old man? Obviously not training to be a missionary. He was there. So what are you doing here? He said, I'm here to give you this. And they said, no, 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 no. Why, why, why are you really here? He said, I'm here because God loves you and wants you to know about this. So you tell him. You know, you know what that did? Listen, that blew their minds, the Russian people's minds. Why did it blow their minds? Because who would do that? That's just crazy. In your 70s, you leave everything you knew and go and live in a country? And he did that for five years, by the way. And he saw more people saved than I would venture that the average church member in America sees saved in their entire life. Well, why, well, why did that happen? Not because he was a missionary, not because he had training, but because God said go and he followed. That's why. Could you stand with me this evening? Maybe the Lord has highlighted that you need to pray more. Maybe the Lord has put on your heart that you need to give more.
Maybe for you, you've been ashamed or you've been scared or you've uh, just been so distracted, you're not really telling others about it. But maybe for you, God has come beside you tonight and said you need to go. Listen, we can stand here and we can reason it all out and say, I don't understand how that would work out. It's not your job to do that. The peace of God passes understanding. Jesus said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. So here's my challenge. He is calling workers. Are you listening? Are you listening tonight?